our text is Revelation chapter 9. Tonight we're going to look at verses 5 through 7 uh, to start instead of reading the entire uh, passage. And just kind of as you're looking that up. This morning we saw in review as the locusts have come out of the pit after the angels come down from heaven at the command of the Lord and opened the, with, with the key of the bottomless pit and opened it up. A great dark smoke comes out. It's so dark it, it really darkens the sun. They can't see through the sun. They can't see it. It darkens the sky, the air, the Bible tells us. And these locusts come upon the earth that have stings like unto scorpions. And we said some about that this morning. And just we reminded you that this is what goes on in hell right now. And this place, hell, will one day, with its occupants, with all the occupants, be cast into the eternal lake of fire with all those torments. And so we just wanted to see more about these torments. And hopefully over the next uh, couple of weeks, two or three weeks, maybe just a little bit more, I'm not sure, but we'll just see if we can get through this and, and just see all of this. There's been so many things, and, and to be quite frank with you, uh, there's some things I've, as I've read and studied, I said, you know, I've already had so much in here to add one or two more things, I don't think it's going to make a difference. So we're going to finish out with the original Revelation 9, 1 through 11, which in my mind was designed to preach to you two sermons. And tonight, I think, is number 17 in this series. So uh, that's how it goes, but uh, the Lord knows. All right, now let's read here Revelation chapter 9. And uh, let's read verses um, 5 through 7. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion, when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. Evidently a paralyzing sting that even if they would try to kill themselves, they can't. And the shapes of the locusts were likened to horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold. And their faces were as the faces of men. Now shall we pray. Father, as we delve back into this, your word tonight, now Lord, I pray that thy spirit, thy Holy Spirit, would open the understanding, Lord, I we can say these things verbally, but really it takes the Spirit of God to give understanding. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do that at this time in a very special, special way. Because this is not just for the lost to see their destiny. It's for Christians to recognize the reality of the destiny. But also the greatness of the love of God in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that as we proceed, that thy spirit would move in a very special way. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now, as we go back to uh, from this morning, we see some interesting things in relations to these locusts 
that have the stings as scorpions. And they're coming upon the earth during the tribulation. That's only five months long they'll be here. But it's enough to give men an idea of what's going on in hell as we see it there in verses 6 and 7. Now, I find it interesting that Satan was not allowed to take Job's life. He could, he could cause sores to raise up on his body, uh, boils from head to toe, be in such pain. He was able to take all his riches, it killed all of his children. And all these terrible things that happened. But Satan was told, the one thing you can't do is kill Job. You can inflict great pain, but you can't kill him. And Satan had to obey God because that was God's command. This angel was sent down from heaven to open this pit that these might come out. But they also, these locusts, have a command that is given to them. And that is, they're not to touch the ones who have the seal of God in their foreheads, and they are forbidden to kill men. And you say, well, why is that interesting to you? Well, these creatures then have a certain degree of intelligence that the locusts of the earth do not have. Uh, Commands are addressed to them, and they obey these commands. They do what they're told. Uh, locusts of the earth don't have that. Locusts cannot distinguish between commands. They, they just don't do that. Uh, they have a king over them. Earthly locusts, they swarm, but they do not have a king. These locusts are made for the pit. This pit is not their punishment. They don't receive punishment there. Rather, they are used to give out this pain in that place, but they themselves are not tormented there. One might say that they even thrive there. You say, well, how could they thrive there? Because they were created to carry out God's will doing this. They're not being punished. This is what they do. Satan and his minions will be tormented there. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. These were prepared for that. These locusts that have stings likened to scorpions. But when I think about those things, that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. And yet men go there because they don't receive Christ as Savior. My mind is taken to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 13 through 15 where we read about the eternal punishment. Uh, well, when we think of the eternal punishment of the unsaved and the devil and his angels. But we read these things about some of those people People who have worked against God's church. I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about local church. I'm talking about saved people. And, and they'll bring in the flesh and other false doctrine. And he says, such are false apostles. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. 
Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. Satan can make you think that these doctrines and these things that he introduces into the world are good. And therefore, those who are directed by him, those who don't walk with God, who may not be saved, so often that ends up, they get a hold of these things and they're saying some of the same things that Satan is trying, uh, saying. But then there are those ministers who are ministers, but they're not saved people. And was told, whose end shall be according to their works. Now when you think of hell, when you think of the destructions of hell, when you think of the pain, the eternity of hell, when you think of that place not being ever let up, but rather is cast into the lake of fire, and that continues in the lake of fire with whatever the lake of fire has to add to that. They'll not escape it. Those who escape it are those who turn to Jesus Christ and to the finished work of Jesus Christ by faith, through repentance and faith in Him. But their end shall be according to their works. Now we've said some things about the punishment of hell that ought to strike fear in anybody's heart. Just like with Moses, moved with fear, he built an ark. It was a wise thing that he was moved with fear. He believed God. We must believe God, but we also must understand that this place called hell is appropriate punishment for the devil and all of those who do not receive Jesus Christ. It's appropriate punishment in the sight of an all-holy God. And I believe particularly among men to those who particularly attack the fundamentals of the faith. You have those today that call us legalists. They're turning churches into accepting the removal of standards. They scorn us. They mock us. Holiness. They use the word. They talk about holiness. But as we see in Ephesians, it's not true holiness. Why would Ephesians make that distinction? Because true holiness is a difference. I remember growing up, a lot of the, what they would call holiness people, uh, they spoke in tongues, they did these other things, but what I understand about them back in that day, you might see some gal either with her hair high up in a bun or just this long hair, no makeup on, in a dress that might be tattered, but holding a track saying, turn or burn. But they got too sophisticated for that. Just like many in our Baptist movements are too sophisticated to warn of a hell if men don't repent. And so, that happened in that day. And, and today, you see these 
who scorned the preaching against sin. When we call this rock and roll music that's come into the churches with their praise teams and everything else, not realizing that's just the way they do it in the nightclub, that's the way they did it back in Israel, back in the wilderness. Well, what's going on in the wilderness? They were marching in the wilderness. Moses goes up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, and all of a sudden, they make a golden calf. They make it into Jehovah. Now, boy, that makes it right because we did it in Jehovah's name. Oh, boy, we're worshiping God. We're drinking, we're dancing, taking off clothes because we're worshiping God. God says, Moses, uh, you better get down there because I'm getting ready to kill all of them. Moses starts walking down the mountain. Joshua's about partway down there and he meets him to walk. He says, sounds like there's war in the camp. War? Why would he think war? He hears the beat of the drums. The drums are beating, that's beat that you have in war. As a matter of fact, in, in Louisiana, back in the early 1800s, drums were not allowed really in the country as far as music is concerned. But they would use it in the military. They would use it in the military because they realized the association it had with things like voodoo and other false religion. So it's just that that could beat for the marching and the things of that nature. But see, now, we, if we do it in the name of Jesus, you can get up there and dance. You can dress uh, immodestly. And you can get all this praise and everybody saying, how wonderful. And taking all the glory that belongs unto the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, from time to time, I get asked, why don't you people applaud in your church? Well, I don't see anything wrong with applauding at a ball game. I don't see anything wrong with applauding when a uh, politician makes a speech and you agree with what he's saying. I don't see anything wrong with that. But you know what? In the Bible, when you see the worship services, they say amen or they say hallelujah. As a matter of fact, most of the time, well, not, let me correct that, half the time, it's almost exactly 50% of the time, clapping the Bible's uh, presented in an evil way, and the other 50% is in a good way. But it's not used in worship, except the trees clapping their hands is considered worship. Because that's all they can do. But when we get to heaven, you know, heaven ought to show us something. They're around the throne saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You get in Revelation chapter 19, the bride has made herself ready and four times in those first 10 verses they say, hallelujah. That means praise be unto God. Now why do we think that God got it wrong or he didn't do it as well as he should have and clapping is so much better than God's way? Look, I'm going to stick with God. I'm going to stick with his word. His word got it right. He gave it there for us. Let's follow his word. Let's do God's will, God's way, in God's timing. But that's what you got going today. 
Now, you have those that, that like to attack the fundamentals of the faith. They get, make fun of our standards. They mock our, the idea of holiness, of preaching against sin and against those other things. And they want to make the holy Jesus likened to the social drinking, marijuana smoking people of the world, the entertainers, another Jesus. I saw some people, I'm not going to mention the name because I don't want to create any kind of a thing here, but this has been quite a few years ago where this guy was well known for having crusades. And in the crusade, and they said, the entertainer for tonight. Did you know that I'm not the worship leader here? I'm not. Neither is Brother Kevin. Now, we do have a worship leader. It's the Holy Spirit of God. He takes the words of Jesus and directs us through the Word of God. That's what the Bible, that's what Jesus said He's going to do. I don't think Jesus lied to us about it. If that's what the Holy Spirit does, if Jesus said it, then it's true. So do God's will, God's way. So I'm just saying, when I think of that lake of fire, and how many multitudes of Young children and teenagers and others have been so deceived by that filth that's going on in these local churches across the country of different denominations, Baptists and all the other kinds. They're turning those ways. And by the way, just because they're a pastor, just because they work in the church does not mean they're saved. They may be very religious, but they're not, they may not be saved. And just think of the punishment that awaits someone of that nature. Now again, these creatures, these creatures do not suffer in hell. They were made to be part of that torment. God has allowed them to be released on the earth for a five-month period during the tribulation so that men would get a greater view of the eternal punishment of hell that they might repent and believe the gospel that is being preached by that 144,000 that God has ordained to preach in the tribulation. My question is, if you're not saved, do you believe God and His Word? Because He's telling you what awaits you if you're not saved. But secondly, if you are saved, Believing his word, you'd say, I believe his word. Why would you fear to tell others the gospel of Christ? Hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. This is a torment that torments super spirits. So think of humans in that place. Why no compassion? to rescue the perishing and care for the dying. I said it this morning, but I want to repeat it again. Bus ministry. I visited the homes. 
had kids riding our buses. Parents are alcoholics or drug addicts and other things. I remember one of the Sundays we had bus parents Sunday here back in the 80s when I was, had taken over and I wanted to have something for the buses and we had bus parents Sunday and some parents came. I went to visit a home. Inside the home they invited me to come in and said it's the preacher. Said just have a seat there preacher we'll be right there with you in a minute. Their television's on and there's about three or four of those little kids I'd say four, five, and six years old. Full blown pornography is on that. They come out there and the guy doesn't say much of anything but the wife comes out behind him. You shouldn't have that on. The preacher's here. Wait a minute. Children, four, five, and six years old? And they're worried about the preacher seeing it? They better be worried about God seeing it. To be quite frank with you, I was not a good witness that night. I was so angry, I left when I saw what was going on with those children. That wasn't the right thing for me to do. But what I do want to say is this. But that's just not a singular case. There's all kind of children like there. Praise God for those that will go out and knock on doors. So we'd like to take your children to Sunday school and church. We have a bus ministry and we've got their children's church and Sunday school. I mean, I can remember back when I drove a bus. Parents loved it because they could get over their hangover with their children out of, out of the house from Saturday night. Say, I, I'm just looking for a ministry. I can't drive a bus. <laughs> can you do that? I tell you, we've got some bus drivers. You can go with them and help them knock on doors and find some uh, souls. Uh, you, you can see Brother Nelson up there. You, you can see Brother Tracy Ross down here. No, those guys would be happy to work with you and get other drivers to work with you to go out and knock on those doors. Sometimes you reach the parents after you reach the children. Sometimes you don't. In my first church, we had a, I, we had a bus. As a matter of fact, I got the bus from Central Baptist Church. They had a bus they were going to get rid of. And uh, I talked to my dad. I wanted to start a, church, uh, a bus route up here. And he said, okay, come pick it up. So I had to drive down here and drive it back. So I drove it back, and I tell you what, now that thing was a, that was a piece of work, okay. But drove it back, started the bus route. In the same neighborhood that I lived in, about two to three blocks over, there was a kid there that was knocked on their doors, and I was able to start picking him up. Time or two, I brought him to his entire house because we were so close by, and uh, just brought him over a few times. To give you a kind of a time setting, it's around 1978, 79, 1980. It's really closer to 1980 because there's a presidential election coming on. But there's also an Iranian crisis. They had taken our embassy. This boy's stepdad 
was Iranian and Muslim. He wanted nothing to do with us. If he'd been the real dad, not the stepdad, if he'd been a father to that boy, even if he was a stepdad, he, he was not. The mother let him come to church. In my house, I led him to Christ. The mother wanted to come to see him baptized. She got so busy, she said she couldn't make it that day we baptized him. Now, here's my thought process. We moved, went to Arizona. My thought process would say, well, that kid's no longer in church. That kid's a mess. He had a mess to grow up in. One of our missionaries, Brother Ray Davis, is the one I had recommended to take my place as pastor, and they called him as pastor, and he was a pastor for 17 years after I left. But he called me one day, and he says, do you remember such and such a name? And I'm trying to say, uh, yeah, I think it says, you picked him up on the bus, he lived a couple, I, then I remembered, oh yeah, 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 what about him? He said, he just called, I think it was from Ohio. He said, he wanted me to call and try to get in touch with you just to let you know that he's going to Bible college and he's studying to be a pastor. I led him to Christ. Other people got involved. But there are more children like that out there today. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Why? Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Oh, my friend, why no compassion to rescue the perishing? Why no compassion? We're told that the shape of these locusts and verses 7 through 9 tells us much more. And we're, giving, we're given here five distinguishing characteristics in those verses of these locusts. And it seems to speak to that which would cause physical fear of life. And I'm not going to go into that tonight. I want to talk about physical fear of life. Why do people not witness? Because they have a fear of rejection, of people mocking them, of losing friends, having family turn. And by the way, that has happened. That has happened. It'll be an eternity. They know that that was the best thing that ever happened as far as their personal life is concerned because they are rewarded. Thou hast been faithful in few things, I'll make thee ruler over many things. They that turn many to righteousness, that is, you turn them to Jesus Christ. They can get saved or not get saved, it's up to them to receive it. But you at least share the gospel, the righteousness of Christ, our salvation. And you'll shine as the stars forever. 
I remember in college, I was working at one of those outstanding high technical places called TGNY. Some of those remember TGNY, you know, it's kind of like a, a nickel and dime store, okay? And I worked there. Sometimes I would be uh, helping in some different areas of, of stock. Other times I'd be helping up at the front. Sometimes I'd be checking people's IDs and so forth about their checks. And then sometimes I would just work security. We had an upstairs, and in the upstairs there was a two-way mirror. So I could look down and watch people. And it's funny, they would have their lockout, their lookouts, you know. Look that way, that would be somebody looking that way and all that. And when they could see it, then somebody would take it, put it under their shirt, got away with it. I'd go outside and meet them and say, hey, I need that merchandise back that you put under your shirt. I watched you in there. You know, you, you could just see some things that go like that. But one day, I was at the, near the front of the store, about halfway up to the front, and I was answering a question for somebody at uh, one of those things that was just about as far from the door as I am from right there where Mrs. Liberty is. And um, people said, they're robbing the grocery store next door to us. And people started going out to see. And we had this manager in the store. He, he uh, wasn't always, uh, well, let's just say sometimes, sometimes, at times he was a French fry short of a Happy Meal. Okay. He goes out there and sees those guys coming out that have held up the grocery store. They have guns. He stands out there, and it's like a long sidewalk between our store and their store, but it's still part of the front. It's like a, uh, a shopping center type of a thing. He says, hey, you guys. And they go. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I see a bunch of people running back in. Now, I'm on the phone. I'm telling the police, there's a robbery going on down here. They're robbing Barnes Grocery Store. And I'm telling them about it. And I said, no, I haven't seen anybody. I'm not going over there to see it. They're doing it. People have seen it. They just fired shots. Just fired shots. I'm going to the back. No, they said, stay on the line. Stay on the line. I said, ma'am, I'll leave the phone off the hook, but I'm not staying on the line. I think I passed everybody up running to the back. But I also knew, run to the back, go inside, go upstairs, and get a view of that two-way mirror. I was watching for somebody to still come in. But evidently, the guys just shot that way to scare people and got in their car and took off. But I tell you what, when that happens, your heart's pounding. I mean, I was looking for the biggest man or lady I could stand behind, so they did start shooting, you know. But uh, not really. I, I, was, I was getting out of there, but I wasn't going to stand there on the telephone and talk to somebody who says, we need more information. What do they look like, you know? Uh, they got a gun. That's all you need to know. Get your police down here, you know? And so, but I tell you what, there's a fear. Because somebody said, they're coming at us. They weren't coming down there. 
But after you've heard some shots, two or three shots fired, you think they're coming. My thought is, they want to rob us next, and I'm standing up here near the front with the telephone in my hand by the register. <laughs> they can listen to whoever gets shot, you know, and I took off. You say, you mean you weren't brave? I think so, because I passed a bunch of people up that wanted to go ahead of me. But, um, but I'm saying this, that was fear. That was fear. I heard yelling and screaming. That was fear. But not the fear that we're talking about here. People in the tribulation hour for that five-month period will get a taste of what part of the torments of hell will be, that outer darkness that you can't even see your hand in the front of your face. That's stinging. This as the pain of a scorpion. That fear of hearing the sound of the wings like many chariots running to battle. Now next Sunday morning and Sunday evening I want to continue that but what I want to say now is this is reality. But the blood of Jesus Christ was shed to save us from that. To save us from sin and one of the blessings, the great blessings of being saved from sin, I am also saved from sin's consequence. And praise God, one day I'll be caught up. I'll have a new body. This old nature is done away. Just that new nature. This old nature's been cleansed. This old man's been cleansed. By the blood of Jesus. No more presence of sin. What does that bread and juice mean? The body and blood of Jesus Christ for us. What does it mean to you? Because this do in remembrance of me. Let's bow our heads, please.